Welcome to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Hey everyone, this is Colin Slade and welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. This week's episode is a continuation of the discussion on how to become an Air Force Officer, this time focusing on Air Force ROTC, or Reserve Officer Training Corps. If you missed last week's episode on Officer Training School, or if you know anyone who already has their bachelor's degree, or is close to it and is also interested in joining the Air Force, please go back and listen to Reed's incredibly detailed explanation of OTS, and then consider sharing that episode with them. Now, without further delay, let's get into our discussion about how to become an officer through Air Force ROTC. Awesome. Thanks, Reed. That's a great overview of Officer Training School, or OTS. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the other part of the Home Center, which is Air Force ROTC. Now, when we talk about commissioning officers, and Air Force ROTC and OTS being the most likely way that someone comes into the Air Force. Air Force ROTC itself specifically is the most likely method for someone to get into the Air Force as an officer. So if you meet someone who is an officer in the Air Force, the likelihood is that they went through Air Force ROTC. Also, if you are listening to this podcast, the likelihood is that if you want to be an officer, this is probably how it's going to happen with the strong caveat that you don't already have your bachelor's degree finished. So let's explain first of all what uh, Air Force ROTC is. Air Force ROTC is best understood as an internship that happens concurrently with your academic studies, that while you are going to college, working on your academic degree, which by the way, it doesn't matter what your degree is, you are also taking classes through Air Force ROTC that gives you the training that you need to be successful as an officer once you complete your degree, receive your commission, and go into the Air Force. So we give you that quote on-the-job experience while you're in school, and then that job in the Air Force is waiting for you upon graduation. By the way, we should mention the end result of OTS, Air Force ROTC, and the United States Air Force Academy is exactly the same in that all three commissioning sources produce second lieutenants. Now, that does not mean that all officers are exactly the same or equally capable, but the rank that they wear and the amount that they are paid with some very few nuanced things that we can discuss at a later point is exactly the same. I would like to add that Officer Training School does produce officers of other rank, and those are the direct commission programs. Many of the non-line officers that we discussed earlier on in the episode come in at a higher rank based on the amount of education and training that they've gone through, dentists, doctors, lawyers, chaplains, et cetera. So it is not uncommon at officer training school to see a captain or a major going through training, and this is their first military experience. Those who are interested in those types of programs are going to have to go through a whole separate recruiting process that simply can outline all the number of ways that can happen. Yeah, I imagine that's an interesting experience to be a major in the Air Force, having worn the uniform for all of one day. Yeah, I've seen lieutenant colonels. That'll make for some great stories later on. Yep, absolutely. 
So Air Force ROTC, like I said, is a training program, an internship designed to take you where you are off the street. Civilian, prior military, does not matter. You're going to go through essentially the same training to take you from where you are, give you all the skills that you need to be successful in the Air Force as an officer upon graduation and receiving that commission. Now, every Air Force ROTC program is a little bit different based on where it is located, the university that hosts it, the demographics that that university or that location attracts. Those are going to have a significant impact on the Air Force ROTC detachment. That's what we call those units how that detachment operates, as well as the number of cadets that are in that program will have a huge impact on it. Some Air Force ROTC detachments are very, very small, somewhere between 20, 30, maybe 40 cadets, while others are quite large, especially the traditional military universities like the Citadel or Virginia Military Institute, VMI, or even like the Texas A&M with its core of cadets. These programs have 300, 400, up to 600 cadets, and that is going to impact how that training environment operates, what the specific experience is for each of the cadets that are part of that program, as well as the resources that are available to that program. If you are part of a very small Air Force ROTC detachment at a very rich university, the likelihood of having a lot of training resources available to you is high. Whereas if you are at a very large detachment with lots of cadets at a state school where money and, and other types of resources are thin, then that's going to have a significant impact on what your training experience is going to be like. On top of that, every Air Force ROTC detachment has its own commander and cadre that have a big impact on how things operate. You can actually think of each Air Force ROTC detachment as its own mini OTS in a way. It has specific people assigned to it and their entire responsibility is the training and evaluation and growth of those cadets. Whereas OTS also has its own commander and cadre but on a much larger scale, right? And so it's important to recognize those cadre and the detachments are typically far away or uh, geographically removed from the Air Force base or military institution that supports it. So there are many commanders, lieutenant colonels and colonels who seek out these Air Force ROTC command positions because they're, quote, easy. They see this as a twilight assignment, something where they can go and put their feet up and kind of relax a little bit after many decades of demanding military leadership. And so they go to these Air Force ROTC assignments to relax a little bit. The same may be true for the other officer or NCO cadre that are assigned to these detachments. They may see this as a twilight assignment as they plan to separate or retire from the military, or even in some circumstances, they may have been voluntold. Voluntold meaning they were involuntarily assigned to work in Air Force ROTC, and that can have a dramatic impact on how things operate at the detachment. But all that being said, there are some commanders and some officers and NCOs who are super motivated to be there. They have wanted for all of their career to get back to Air Force ROTC so that they can give back to the programs that help to grow them and turn them into the leaders that they are. And so in that type of situation, you can expect that the training environment 
and the experience for those cadets is going to be much, much better. The point being across the 145 different detachments and 400 different universities that have Air Force ROTC, there is going to be very large differences from program to program. Like going to college itself, your Air Force ROTC experience is going to be a little bit different depending on where you go. It's going to be a combination of all of these things, where the university is located, the demographic associated with that university, the number of cadets that are part of that program, the resources that are available, and ultimately what you bring to the program itself, what you are willing to put into Air Force ROTC. But also, it's important to understand that the entrance requirements and the process for getting into Air Force ROTC is essentially the same no matter where you go. You can check on afrotc.com, afrotc.com. We'll put that link in the, in the show notes as well. You can check that website to find out if a university near you or the university that you are hoping to go to offers Air Force ROTC. In that website, it will provide contact information for you to get in touch with the commander or the cadre that work at that university. Or you can look up on the university's website that you are particularly interested in. You can see if there is a ROTC program hosted there at that university. And you should take the time to go in and talk to the cadre, the recruiting officer that works in that program so that you can get a lot of the details that are specific to that program. So I have a question for you, Colin. How are the number of ROTC spots controlled at each detachment? In other words, if you had 500 students come into you, all meeting the requirements, all interested and eligible, does your university have a smaller number that they can accept versus a different university? How is that managed? So I can't speak for the other universities, but I can tell you that at Brigham Young University and Utah Valley University, Air Force ROTC Detachment 855, we are nowhere close to capacity. We have a great ability to take even more cadets than what we currently have. We have about 200 right now. The main thing that is going to limit our ability to take additional cadets is the university's physical size. Because if we're going to take more cadets on, we are going to need places to teach those cadets. We're going to need classroom space, physical space for working out, for doing our parades and those different things. And so it, it's not so much on the Air Force side of things that is going to limit the ability to take more cadets, but the, the university itself. But the, the universities have an agreement with Air Force ROTC that they will supply the necessary facilities and resources to enable training. That would be an awesome problem to have, to have more cadets than we could take. But I don't think that there is a university or a program that is dealing with that problem. Okay. So thank you. One of the reasons I wanted to ask that question, though, is, again, to highlight the definite flexibility of OTS. When it comes to OTS, those selections that happen at the boards that we discussed, those are very tightly controlled, and they're almost always a result of how many officers are coming out of the Air Force Academy, how many officers are coming out of ROTC, do the little math, okay, we can only make this many this year. So OTS is tightly controlled. Every single student is tightly monitored, and that number is reported, and we track very closely how many students are we making this year versus how many we're allowed to. And we almost always hit that mark right on the money because that's all we're authorized to do. So it's just a little bit different. 
Yeah, imagine if we go back and look at the program guidance letters, the PGLs from 2008 and 2009, we would see a large increase in the number of cadets that were coming through Air Force ROTC because there's not really a good mechanism for turning off the spigot of Air Force ROTC and seeing the effect that that had on OTS in, in that time frame. Exactly. So as I mentioned earlier, the process of getting into Air Force ROTC is going to be similar across all 145 detachments. You're most likely going to go talk to a recruiting officer first. Some Air Force ROTC detachments will actually screen at the door, meaning they're going to interview you for eligibility right off the bat because they may be at one of those large urban population centers where there's a lot of crime, there's a lot of drug use, and that can have a significant impact on the eligibility of the people that come into the program. So that is a possibility that you'll be screened and interviewed on the first day to see if you're even eligible to join the program, where others may have you fill out an online application to provide that type of information. Or you may have programs like mine, where our demographic typically has no criminal history or history of drug use or other things that will disqualify them from the program. And so we don't have to screen very much. We just give the interested student the information that they need and tell them, go register for our classes and build your online profile within Wings. And that's how you get in the program. That's interesting. You know, I talked about sitting in the office of my recruiter as I was going through the application process, and he absolutely had a set series of questions that he would ask every single person who gave him a call in order to do that initial screening. That is interesting that depending on where you are, uh, that screening process may or may not be immediate as you described. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a screening process that happens across all Air Force ROTC detachments. It's just for some of them, it happens earlier. For some of them, it happens a little bit later. And I will get into the details of how that screening process works as I describe the requirements to get into Air Force ROTC. Certainly. And it makes sense given the nature of the geographic area that my recruiter was trying to manage. I mean, you have four or five states. He has a lot of people and a lot of phone calls. So he had to come up with something just to manage the amount of people. Right. So first of all, in order to join Air Force ROTC, you have to be a full-time student at the university. So you have to be admitted to the university first. And you have to have the ability to be a full-time student or even a graduate student for at least three years. Air Force ROTC is designed to be completed in four years. It has a very linear curriculum that is broken up into a freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior type of block. And so the ideal student coming in is a brand new freshman that has four or five years before they graduate with a bachelor's degree. But it is possible for someone to come in after the first semester or two of their freshman year, i.e. they come in as a sophomore or even a junior, and still be able to do Air Force ROTC within the three-year requirement. Now, I mentioned that screening process, right? So I will often get juniors or seniors in college that will come into my office and say, I've been looking around at different job opportunities, and I've decided that I would really like to be in the Air Force, to which I will say, okay, how much time do you have before graduation? And they'll say, I have two years or one year left, at which point I say, 
Awesome. I'm so excited that you are about done with your bachelor's degree. Let me put you in touch with a recruiter for OTS. And then they go through that process that you described earlier, right, Reed? Yep. And I will point out that OTS recruiters, if you have not finished your degree, they may not even start talking to you very thoroughly yet. They have enough applicants that they may just say, well, call me when you're done or call me when you're in your last semester. So yeah, it's good to kind of, again, cage those expectations so folks kind of understand what they're dealing with. And that's for someone who is a junior or senior without any prior military experience. There is some ability to compress the Air Force ROTC curriculum down to two years or in some cases, even one year. But that ability is done on a case-by-case basis and is specific to those who have prior military experience. So if you are interested in doing Air Force ROTC, the expectation is that you will have at least three years left before you will graduate with your bachelor's degree and receive your commission. Also, part of that screening process, as I mentioned earlier, is to take a look at how old you are. You do need to be able to finish Air Force ROTC receive your commission and graduate by your 40th birthday. Although some career fields, depending on what it is that you want to do for the Air Force, have more stringent age requirements, such as if you want to be a pilot, you need to be able to graduate with your bachelor's degree and commission prior to your 30th birthday. In order to be part of Air Force ROTC, you do not have to meet the height and weight requirements for the Air Force. But again, like I said, that screening process happens along the way. Eventually, before you can receive a uniform and wear it with everybody else in the program, get a scholarship or participate in some of our selective boards, like going to field training, you do have to meet all of our height and weight requirements and fitness standards. But that is an important distinction to make, that you can start Air Force ROTC before you meet the height and weight requirements. You can come in overweight or not fit, and we will work with you to get you to a point where you can pass the fitness and height and weight standards. I think that's a really good thing to bring up, if I may just interject for a minute. That is quite the opposite when it comes to OTS and your OTS application. As I mentioned a little bit, part of your application process will be to go through a medical examination to determine if you meet the physical requirements. For prior enlisted students, you must have a passing PFA on record. PFA is a physical fitness assessment or the PT test as it's colloquially known. And for the civilian applicants, they will take an Air Force physical fitness assessment within the first 48 to 72 hours of arriving at officer training school. If they do not pass that assessment, when I left as an instructor, they had approximately two to three weeks to take the test again. And if they failed after that second failure, we're talking not even halfway through the eight-week program, they were sent home. So if you intend to join the Air Force and you intend to go through OTS, you need to be paying attention to those physical standards before you start the process. Now, don't get me wrong. You should come to Air Force ROTC Fit. Oh, absolutely. It will make your training experience much, much better. Absolutely. Just the window of your ability to get there uh, is a quite a bit more narrow when you are talking about OTS. On the opposite side, I have had cadets come in very large, very overweight put in the time and the effort to get themselves within standards to the point where they were able to get themselves a uniform, get selected, go to field training, graduate commission. I have seen that happen. I have also seen people come in underweight 
or within standards and leave the program before they graduated in commission because they were not able to continue to meet the Air Force's standards of fitness and body weight. So it is a real requirement. It is something that you do need to remain focused on throughout your Air Force ROTC or even, as Reed has explained, your OTS experience. In addition to that physical fitness requirement, you do need uh, to also be free of long-term medical conditions. Air Force ROTC uses the Department of Defense Medical Evaluation Review Board, or DODMERB, just the same as all other commissioning sources for the Department of Defense. And so the expectation is that you will be able to pass that medical evaluation. If you are curious of what sort of conditions or issues are disqualifying for military service, you can go to Dodmerb website, which we will link in the show notes, or you can call Dodmerb directly and we will again provide their contact information so that you can ask them directly. The important thing there to understand is that we, the cadre of Air Force ROTC or anybody else that is outside of Dodmerb is not qualified to provide any sort of advice or do an evaluation on whether or not you will be medically qualified to serve in the Air Force. The best thing that you can do is to contact Dodmerb directly to find out if your specific situation will disqualify you or to go through the actual evaluation process to find out if you qualify. You mean that website I looked up, that thing that I'm feeling, isn't going to diagnose me, Colin, and tell me if I can join the military or not? No. And in fact, there are many instances where whatever it is that you are experiencing does not disqualify you, is not truly what you think it is, or something that you didn't know that you had will disqualify you because the evaluation process is very thorough and strict. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. They need to go through the process in order to actually get the ground truth. In order to be a cadet in Air Force ROTC, you do have to have either no GPA at all, meaning you're coming in as a freshman with no college credits whatsoever, or if you're coming in as a a sophomore or junior or even a senior or graduate student, remember, you got to have those three years. Any previous college experience and college credits that you have, you need to have a GPA of at least a 2.0. That is a cumulative GPA, has to be above a 2.0. That also includes any high school advanced placement credits that you might have from taking an AP test or participating in an IB program, or if you were concurrently enrolled in college, working on your associate's degree, all of those things will count towards the cumulative GPA that you need in order to participate as a cadet. So when you come in, you will submit a copy of all your transcripts, all of the credits that you have in order to determine whether or not you have that 2.0. The important thing to understand there is that if you already do have an associate's degree or even a bachelor's degree, you can still be part of the program. Having college experience does not preclude you from being able to join. But again, the important thing there to understand is that you have to be a full-time student for at least three years to finish all of the Air Force ROTC curriculum. We mentioned this in our previous episode of what is an officer, that in order to join the program and eventually be an officer, you do have to be a citizen of the United States. Or to begin the program, you have to be at least a permanent resident who is pursuing a citizenship status. This is important to note that if you are an international student at an American university, or if you are in the United States on a student visa, you may not participate in Air Force ROTC as a cadet you do have to be here in a permanent resident status or to already have your citizenship 
in order to participate. Now, if you have dual citizenship, if you are a citizen of the United States in some other country, which happens in some circumstances, that does not necessarily disqualify you from commissioning. But if you are exercising the, the rights or the benefits of dual citizenship, that can limit your ability to get a security clearance, especially in the, in the top secret area, which limits your ability to get certain jobs like being a pilot or an intel officer. So can you walk me through that? Because I was fairly certain that you could not maintain dual citizenship and commission. So in AFI 36-2005, it does say specifically that if you have dual citizenship, it does not necessarily disqualify you from commissioning, but may limit your ability to get a clearance. Yeah. I just remember a couple situations where we had to push pause on some training for some people that those things had come up because I haven't brought it up previously, but OTS itself, the actual organization at Maxwell Air Force Base in Alabama plays no role in the recruiting of students that eventually end up there. That doesn't mean that if you call OTS and want to talk to somebody, they're not going to help you. That just means they have zero power or authority or involvement in the actual recruiting application and selection process. I gave a couple tours to members who are interested in joining and had some connection to the area, but they had to go through an entirely separate organization for the recruitment. All that is said to also mean that sometimes we got students that didn't quite meet the requirements, although those were very few and far between. So as I mentioned earlier, there is that screening process that could happen early or happens throughout your Air Force ROTC experience. Through that, that screening process, especially if it's happening early, they're looking for any sort of uh, criminal history. That means any sort of civil involvement, whether minor, misdemeanor, felony, does not matter. The Air Force is going to be looking for all types of civil involvements. Yeah. The way it was explained to me is that anytime you've interacted with a member of the government, be it a fish and wildlife game manager, police officer, anyone who's acting on behalf of the state and you've had an interaction with them and they wrote something down, you should think about writing that down and reporting it just to be absolutely above board with everything. Yeah. Think of the typical college experience. Speeding tickets are a norm. If you're going to parties and you're getting written up for being too loud, for disturbing the peace, for defacing public property, or any of these other seemingly innocuous and very small consequence types of uh, involvements, those need to be included as well as all of the, the larger things. Uh, maybe in your prior life, you were off the beaten path and you found yourself you know, breaking into, into people's houses or stealing things from, from a store, whatever the case may be. Those types of things must be included in your report of your criminal record. This becomes especially important when you get investigated for a security clearance because those things will come up. And if you haven't already disclosed it, then that's an issue. So only perfect people can join the Air Force, Colin? Absolutely not. There are no perfect people in the Air Force, in fact. But you do need to be forthcoming in sharing all details of criminal history, as well as any sort of illegal drug or substance abuse if you've had a history of using illegal drugs like heroin or cocaine or meth or anything like that, uh, whether you've been caught doing it or not, you need to share that with, with Air Force ROTC because it will come up in your investigation for your security clearance. 
However, there is a big caveat on the drug use thing. It does not include any history of the use of marijuana. Prior use of marijuana is not disqualifying for joining Air Force ROTC. However, if you use it after you join, that will disqualify you because marijuana is still against federal law. Yeah, I think it's great to bring up that idea. You know, people see the number of requirements and it looks like you have to be perfectly physically fit at peak fitness and never have ever done anything bad. And I think it's important that we say the government does have high expectations of the members of its armed services and especially amongst its officer corps, but that doesn't mean you have to be perfect, but they do have to trust you. And if you are unwilling to reveal the details of your background and that discrepancy is found, that will cause them to ask serious questions about your integrity, which is the basis for everything we do. Yeah. And that goes back to episode one that we just released that one of the primary requirements for being an officer in the Air Force, as outlined in Title 10 U.S. Code, is that you have good moral character, that you live your life to a high standard. That doesn't mean that you have to be perfect, like you said. That doesn't mean that your history must be unmarked or or blemish-free. But it does mean that right now and from this point on, you need to live your life to a much higher standard than is the average of the people around you. Yeah, that's great. You have time for a very quick story, Colin? I would love a quick story. So this is about the time I was driving to Maxwell Air Force Base to start my training as a cadet at OTS. I was driving in the middle of Kansas. For those of you who may or may not have driven through Kansas, it can have a lot of straight, flat roads. And I was on a a divided interstate, right? So two lanes in each direction. And I was in the left lane. In the state I grew up in Utah, driving in the left lane was not necessarily frowned upon. But in other places of the country, you can only be in the left lane if you're actively passing. Well, it's quite easy to tell if you're passing someone on the plains of Kansas or not, because you can see for quite some time. And I remember just tootling along. I was not speeding. I was being very good. And I saw this highway patrolman flip around and come sailing up behind me. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, here I am on my way to training, about to get pulled over. This is it. Here goes my career. Now, I did not get a ticket. I got a warning, but it was a written warning. And so, in other words, there was a record. So I showed up to training. And actually, this was very interesting. I kept that with me. First day of training, within the first few hours, They asked, did any of you have any interactions with any law enforcement or civil government authorities from the time you departed to the time you've arrived here? And I had to raise my hand and walk to the front and hand them my citation. Were you the only one? I was the only one that I recall, (laughs) but I'm still here today. So I guess it all turned out okay. Now, Reed, do you have time for a quick story? Absolutely. So there I was. I had just been called onto active duty after graduating from Air Force ROTC. And my first place to go was Maxwell Air Force Base for Air and Space Basic Course. Which is where we met. Which is where we met. And I was driving through Kansas. You mean we made the same drive? We made the same drive. And I was driving in the left lane down the highway. And a highway patrolman sped up behind me and pulled me over. (laughs) So I I got pulled over for the exact same thing for the exact same reason. (laughs) How have we been friends this long and never have known that that happened? (laughs) My guess is that anybody who's traveling from Utah to Maxwell 
has that exact same experience. That is too funny. And I want to know this for certain. If you are listening to this podcast and you've had that same experience, share it with us on the social media, either on Instagram or Twitter. Tag us with the hashtag Officer AF, and we'll see that and we'll share it here on one of our future episodes. That's fantastic. The major difference there between you and me, there, though, Reed, is that I was already an officer. Yes. <laughs> I was just on my way. And so I actually didn't have to report it. (laughs) But I had a a very visceral reaction when I saw the patrolman behind me. I was like, crap, I'm going to have to share this with my commander as soon as I get there. Yeah, that's not the way you want to necessarily make your first introduction to your commander. I don't remember if I got a ticket or not, but I do remember being pulled over for that same reason. So those are the basic requirements in order to join Air Force ROTC. Put, put all this information in the show notes. Again, we are willing to answer any questions that you may have about how this process works. I also highly encourage you to get in touch directly with your local ROTC detachment, the cadre that are there. Have the conversation with them so that you can hear it from them in addition to us and any special circumstances that may apply to the program that's there. In addition to meeting those requirements to actually join the program, so read like you had to do all that paperwork, submit an application, get selected through a board, all that sort of stuff. We have administrative tasks that you have to do as well, but there is no board that chooses whether or not you can get into Air Force ROTC. There are really only two things that you have to do to join the program, assuming that you already meet all the requirements that I've outlined previously. The first thing is you need to create an account within Wings. It's a Wings is a very unwieldy government website and system. I'll include the link to Wings and some actual instructions on how to navigate it in the show notes so that you have specifics of, of how to actually do everything. But if you get stuck or when you get stuck, you will need to reach out to your local ROTC detachment to help you get unstuck. Don't ask me because I won't be able to access your specific account because it's going to be attached to the ROTC detachment that you are hoping to go to. In addition to filling out the information on wings, you will need to provide uh, specific information in person to that detachment. Some of that information is an original copy of your social security card and birth certificate, as well as your high school and college transcripts. Please note that copies of your social security card and your birth certificate are not sufficient. They do have to be the originals, but we will return them to you after we've verified them. After you've completed the stuff that you need to do in Wings, you need to go on your university's class registration page, and there you will sign up for three things, physical training, leadership lab, and your aerospace course. The specific numbers of the courses that you need to register for are going to be dependent on your specific university. So again, you're going to need to reach out to your local detachment in the cadre there to find out the course numbers that you need to register for, where those classes are going to take place, at what time, any expectations of where and when to be, what to wear, that kind of stuff you'll need to get from them. How many course hours are we talking should be planned for by students who are trying to attend university and go through the ROTC program at the same time? That's a good question. So assuming that you're coming in, no prior military experience, you're just doing the four-year program, the expectation is is that you're going to register for those three classes, PT, Leadership Lab, Aerospace class. 
those three things are going to take somewhere around five hours of your time each week, depending on how that particular program in that university has things structured. Are we talking five credit hours or are you talking actual time hours? So I don't know the exact number of credits because that's going to be university dependent but you should expect five hours being in class each week. And then there will be additional time spent doing various meetings with your flight or participating in other optional activities. The expectation is that you'll be involved about six to seven, up to maybe 10 hours a week devoted strictly to Air Force ROTC. So it's kind of like a part-time job. However, please understand that as you progress through the program and you move up into greater cadet leadership positions as a junior and as a senior, you will be spending much more time on your training than the typical freshman or sophomore. It is normal for some of our senior cadet leaders to be spending 20, 30, even 40 hours in some cases on Air Force ROTC specific training, which is part of the reason why our program is so focused on offering scholarships uh, to our cadets so that they can focus on their school and their training and have the option of not working. Because those hours are in addition to anything they're doing normally for the completion of their planned degree. Is that correct? That is correct. But let me explain this. It is normal for cadets, at least at my program, I can't speak for all other detachments, but it is normal, at least at our program, for cadets to be an engineering student to be a wing or a group commander, to have a scholarship, and yet still choose to work part-time. Because by the time that they've gotten to their junior and their senior year, they have learned how to manage their time and their priorities well enough to where they can handle all of the demands on their time academically from Air Force RTC, as well as holding down a part-time job and still have time for family and friends and the social activities. Great. One thing I want to bring up that I didn't mention during the time we were talking about the OTS application process, and I'm sure we'll go in much more depth as we talk about the actual experience at these different training programs. We discussed a pretty rigorous application process, but you're going to be doing whatever else you're doing, your job, your life, until you report for training. When you report for training, you will begin your full-time military career, and you can expect that that will be taking all of your time during the eight weeks that the program lasts. Yeah, I'm sure that in a future episode, we'll, we'll get into the actual training experience of Air Force ROTC and OTS and the Air Force Academy. But in this episode, we have focused primarily on the process of getting into each of these different commissioning sources, Air Force ROTC and OTS. It is important to understand the process of getting in is not the same as the process of being trained to become an officer. That is such an important topic. We will devote time to that on its own what the training experience is like at the officer training school or what it's like at the different stages of Air Force ROTC, as well as the Air Force Academy at some point in the future. Absolutely. Colin, we've gone over a lot. There's a whole lot of stuff here. Yes, we have. If we haven't made the point previously, we're going to make it again. This is a very complicated process to get into a commissioning source, especially OTS. We are here to help you. Please reach out to us through our emails that are linked in the show notes, social media, or even better, go talk to a recruiter for OTS or a recruiting officer at the local Air Force ROTC detachment. They are best situated to help you in your own individual circumstance. 
Yep. A hundred percent. I'm so glad we got back around to that. I can't emphasize it enough. There are so many ways that you can make this happen, but you're going to have to have some help. So please find someone who's currently employed to do this full time to help you navigate through the bureaucracy. So there's another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe and follow us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher, some of the other platforms. Leave us a review. That will help other people find this podcast. Even better, share it directly to your friends and family, especially those that you know may be interested in going to OTS or joining Air Force ROTC. Our goal is to help as many people as possible learn from our experience so that they can be better and more prepared when it comes time to apply and join each of these different commissioning sources. Additionally, you can interact with us, as we've mentioned previously, on our social media platforms. We are on on Instagram and Twitter. We have a Facebook discussion group where you can engage with other listeners of this podcast or other officers in the Air Force. You are welcome to highlight different issues that have come up in these episodes or things that are important to you that maybe we haven't discussed yet. That is a good place to share your thoughts and comments about this episode or about becoming an officer or being an officer in general. Thanks for joining us and listening to this week's episode of Commission Ed. Thank you for listening to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. The views and opinions of the authors expressed herein do not state or reflect those of the U.S. government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Mention of any specific commercial products, process, or service by trade name, trademark, manufacturer, or otherwise does not necessarily constitute nor imply its endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion and should not be implied as endorsement. 